Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Scripture reading this morning will be taken from Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8. I'll be reading from the King James Version this morning. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy the man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Please be seated. Would you open God's book, please, to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, and I'm going to launch from this passage in just a couple of minutes. Galatians chapter 3 and the first verse, it's so happy to... We're so happy to see you here. And Elizabeth, oh my, this is um, such a great day. And I was thinking just as I was getting up that we get to share your first Lord's Day as a Christian. And that's just a delight. That's just a happy, happy thing. I want to introduce this sermon this way. I've seen some amazing things in my life. I watched Eve hand a piece of fruit to Adam, and with a perplexed look on his face, he took it, looked at her, and he ate it. I listened to the the groaning and the moaning of the men at the Tower of Babel as they climbed up inch by inch and built that tower into heaven, or so they thought. I watched and could smell the smell of the conflagration, the burning, the destruction of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I saw Lot's wife turn into a pillar of salt. I watched Abraham as he walked up Mount Moriah with Isaac. It was hard to watch because I knew what he was going to do. I watched him bind his son lift him up on the altar, lift that knife. I listened to the weeping of the mothers of Bethlehem, whose sons, two years old and below, were being killed by a vicious man named Herod because he wanted to take the life of the Christ. And I heard Jesus, when he was 12, say to his mother, don't you know I must be about my father's business? Don't you know? I watched Jesus under the waves of the gentle Jordan River as John the Baptist baptized him. And I heard heaven say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Heard it. And I watched Jesus as as he turned over the tables of the money changers of righteous indignation. And not too long later, 
I saw Pilate, who out of cowardice gives the nod to the haters of Jesus. And they carry my Lord and they scourge him. And I can hear the the sound of that whip. And I can hear the, the sound of the hammer, the thud of the hammer into those timbers as he is nailed to that cross. I watched him ascend to heaven less than two months later. And I rejoiced. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Glenn, you, you, you weren't there. You weren't there. Oh, yes, but here is the sense in which I can say these things. It's Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. And it says this. Oh, foolish Galatians. And by the way, I'm reading from King James today. I'm going to do that a good bit for this reason I'll show you in a minute. Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Now, let me give you a couple of other translations just so you grasp this. This is the American standard. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was openly set forth, crucified. The ESV says, before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, here's the deal, is that the Galatians, of course, are far removed from the the crucifixion of Jesus. Galatians was written about 52 AD. Jesus was crucified about 33 AD. Got a a 20-year gap there since Jesus was crucified. But it's, it's not just that. It's that Jesus was crucified, of course, outside of Jerusalem. The Galatians weren't there. They're in Galatia. And so, and so in, in what sense is it, very, is it said so plainly here that, that Jesus was crucified before their eyes? He was crucified among you. And the answer is, and you know what it is, is that Jesus was crucified in their imaginations as they read from Scripture the description of his crucifixion, the mock trials, the, the scourging, the, the execution, the cross, the ascension. As they watched all of that through the reading of his word, They witnessed it. And and that's how this is worded here. What I want to do today is to talk about what Scripture has to say about our imaginations. It's a really remarkable thing, this imagination. Sometimes around December, uh, we, I'm going to be very discreet about what I'm about to say, but we, we parents and grandparents have a sort of a game that we play with our offsprings, our young and, and sometimes I'll get a question in Q&A or, or some other place about, aren't we, aren't we deceiving? I don't, I don't want to explain it any farther than that, but you know what I'm talking about. Aren't we deceiving them? Aren't they, aren't they one day going to pop up and say, well, you lied to me? <laughs> no, I, I don't believe that at all. I know this, children come into the world with an imagination, and the little children want to exercise that. Now, there's not a daddy in this room who's worth his salt that hasn't, hasn't sat at a little table in a little chair and held a little cup, and you always have to hold up your little finger in a tea party with your little girl. And you, and you, you know, you know there's nothing in that cup, but you drink it as if there is. And you know that that little bear, that little stuffed animal in that chair is not real, and that little baby doll is not real. And you know in that chair that's empty, you're you're looking at the chair, and you're going to call that person, that imaginary person, something. Now, what's happening there? And that is that little girls, and my little girl is here today, only she's grown. 
she did this awful thing and grew up on me. But, but we sat down in her, what she called it was her closet, but we called it the fairy room. That's what she named it, the fairy room. And we sat there and we'd, we would drink that tea and we would talk to those imaginary people. Now, what was happening was a, a wonderful thing. That little girl's mind was developing and God put in that little child an imagination that she wanted to exercise. She really wanted to exercise it. And I, I suppose, I mean, it's true about the little boys too. They like to do that. Remember, the, the mind is a, a remarkable thing. The very idea that we can remember is tremendous, isn't it? The fact that you can remember things is a wonderful thing and a terrible thing at the same time. The fact that you have an imagination is not something that's just remarkable, but it's, it's something which God expects you to exercise. And that's the point of this sermon. That's how the Galatians did it. They saw the crucifixion that happened 20 years before. Let me, let me show you some passages. Uh, Iser is a Hebrew word. Iser. Iser is used mm, about 10 times, 9 or 10 times in the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to use the King James. It's because King James was not afraid to use the word Imagination. It's an appropriate translation, and I think it's the best translation. But if you look up the word in Strong's, a form, you know, in mentally you form something, figuratively, conception, you design in your mind. Look at the building that you're sitting in right now. And, and for some of us can remember this building in blueprint form. Before the dirt was moved, before any concrete was poured, before any walls, any paint, any roofing, when it was just a figment of somebody's imagination and they drew it up on, we paid them a terrible amount of money, and they drew it up in blueprints, and, and Arnold Wright poured over those blueprints, and he would have that pencil and he would take it, he would mark through, and he could see it in his mind. He could imagine what it would look like, and then ultimately it was built. The Hebrew word bears that out, to frame something in your mind. Imagination, mind, work. Now, here's some verses that are going to seem common, familiar to you, that use this word. Now, the first one is Genesis chapter 6, and it's a, the reason for the flood. Why was the flood? Worldwide flood. Punishment from God. And the Bible says that God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. They, they rotted from the inside. That's what happened. And the terminology is, is using the, the word imagination. Look at this next one. Here's 1 Chronicles 28, 9. I, I referenced this in a sermon recently, and it's a passage that I just love. It's David talking to his son Solomon. And now, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and to serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches the hearts, now listen closely, and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. If you seek him, he'll be found of you. If you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. What's that? God, God reads your thoughts. The imaginations of the thoughts. And it's not just that. Genesis wants us to understand that God judges by thoughts too. Now here's the next one. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind, there's the word, is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That we would have some control, we would exercise some control over our imaginations. Here's, here's Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Now you know this one. This is a con context of a number of sins, but it includes homosexuality. As a matter of fact, that's the dominant sin in this part of the scripture. 
is about homosexuality and the abomination of it before God. And look how he describes this. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. What? See, not, not, just, not just corrupt on the outside, but they, they had rotted from the inside. In their imaginations that like Genesis chapter 6, were only evil continually imaginations. Now I'm going to do one more. This is Ezekiel chapter 8. I'm going to read a little farther than what I have on the screen there. This is, this is Babylon. This is exile. And Ezekiel writes, and he's going to talk about a room. Now, now you've got some idolatry woven in there, but now look at this. I'm in Ezekiel chapter 8 and verse 7. So he brought me to the door of the court, and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall... There was a door. This is obviously very figurative. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations which they're doing there. So I went in and saw. And there, every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts, all the idols of the house of Israel, portrayed all around on the walls. Verse 12, then he said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols... For they say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken this land. Now, the King James translates it this way, and I put it up on the screen for you. Son of man, have you seen... I'm sorry, the next one, the bottom one there. Son of man, has you, have, have, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, the Lord sees us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. So, the... But the, the word here can, can have to do with idols, and so they, the New King James translate, in the room of his idols. But a more apt translation is this one, the chambers of his imagination, a place to which God can go, a place which God can see. Anyway, there, there, there's the introduction for the sermon. Here's where I want to go in the next few minutes. I want to talk about the parable, number one, the parable that Jesus gave us about imaginations, and then we're going to talk about some passages, three specific verses where Jesus commands us to do some things, which, or, or avoid some things, which will be impossible. Obeying him is only possible if we use our imaginations. He requires us to do that, to use our imaginations. And then the third one is, how can we use our imaginations to better glorify our God and to be more faithful Christians? Here's the first one. Let's talk about the parable of Jesus using our imaginations. This is Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, familiar to everybody in this room. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I'll arise. I, I will arise and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and went to his father, and you know what happened. There are two times in this parable that Jesus illustrates the use of imagination. The first one 
is, is before the, the boy goes, the young man. I don't know how old he was. It's a parable. But before he goes, he's using his imagination. He imagines what it will be like to, to have his inheritance. More money than he could ever spend, which I think is very funny. Sometimes a person will win the lottery, gets lots of money, and he goes and he just blows it all. That's very common, you know, I, I guess, among people who win these large amounts of money. What's funny about it is that when they get the, the money, that they just don't think they could ever spend that much. They think, that, they think it's so much money, no matter how they spend, it'll never run out. Of course, that's silly. Apparently, the prodigal had that idea. He could never spend all of it. That's how he views it. And the women, the women... In the late nights, he doesn't have any restraints or requirements that, that his dad, that's always breathing down his neck, his dad's not going to be around to, to make him do what he doesn't want to do. He'll live any way he wants, any way he pleases. That's what he envisions. And what he envisioned was wrong. He envisioned himself being so very happy. What's ironic here and just very sad is that people today, every time a person today who's in Christ, a Christian, walks away from the Lord, every single time a person leaves the church or loses his or her faith in God, exactly the same thing is happening. It's about the imagination that I I start to picture myself and how life will be without the requirements and restraints that God places upon me. And I'll be happier. Oh, I'll be happy then. The jihadists are kind of interesting a lot. I mean, it reminds me of the Islamic jihadists and what they're promised. Now, how would, you, how would you make a man into a jihadist? How would you make a man such a ruthless, bloodthirsty killer like this? How would you do it? And, and the way that they do it is to use people's imaginations. So you, you tell a man, 72 dark-eyed virgins for your sexual pleasure. Uh, at your beck and call, and wine. Ah, oh, the best wine of all, in abundance, all that you want. You die in the process of killing the infidels. And what will happen is you'll have not just the women, 72 of them just for you, but you'll also have all of this wine, and it's the best wine, and you don't get drunk, and you won't wake up in the morning with a headache. And suddenly, in their imaginations, they, they can picture this, and they, decide, they desire that, and it turns them into what? You know them to be. The prodigal was sort of like that. He began using his imagination to the point where he acted upon it. So you have two, two occasions here in this, this parable of Jesus where the imagination is being used. And the first time the prodigal uses it before he's gone and he pictures how life's going to be in the faraway country. The second, of course, is when he's feeding the pigs. He didn't expect to be here. This isn't how it, it was supposed to turn out. It's not how he had envisioned this. Now he feeds the pigs and he gets to thinking about going home. You know what? In my father's house, you know, the servants have bread enough and to spare. I think he can hear the clank of the, the silverware and the, the clatter of the plates. I think, he can, I think he can smell the bread as the servants are eating. What's happening? He's using his imagination again. What does it do? It drives him to go back home again. He envisions how it will be when it gets... To, did, you ever, did you ever think hard through a a thing that you were going to say that was difficult to say, and you imagined first yourself saying it, the words that you would use, and you might even practiced it. He practiced it. And and I'm going to go and I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against 
heaven and before you, and I'm no more worthy to be called. And he sort of practices this, but he's going to go home. And the, the, the basis of that was his imagination. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says this. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. That's it. That's it right there. Here's 2 Corinthians 10.5. Casting down imaginations, get them under control. And everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You say, I don't know if I'm going to do this perfectly. I'd rather doubt that you will. But it's our goal. What he's enjoining upon us, what he's replacing on us is that, is that we work to control our imaginations. We're going to talk some more about that in just a couple of minutes. Here's number two for the sermon. There are three occasions where Jesus taught us to do something or to avoid something, all of, all of which involve the imagination. That is to say, you cannot obey Jesus about these three passages unless you use your imagination. And here's the first one, and I touched on it a few minutes ago. It's Luke 22 and verse 19. Now, this is about the Lord's Supper, and Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And he says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me, which I think is just very interesting. We, we've heard it so much that maybe we just pass over this thought. Did you do this this morning? Yeah, you did. And what a what an amazing blessing to be able to eat the Lord's Supper in this room with these people who love Jesus like you do. What a wonderful thing. And I'd like to believe that everybody in this room who ate the Lord's Supper did so with a serious heart. But you, you did it, and if you did it right, you used your imagination. I want you to do this in remembrance of me. How is that possible? And you know, it's the way that the sermon was introduced. And sometimes I'll go through... The thought processes. I, I always do this every time I eat the Lord's Supper, and I want to encourage you to do it. You walk through in your mind the different, you envision in your mind the different points. You start with the upper room, and Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He sits down at the table. He lets them know one of them's going to betray him. They don't know, except for Judas. They don't know who it's going to be. And Judas is going to leave, and he's eating there, and, and Judas leaves, and, and Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. They sing a hymn together, and they, then they go out to the Mount of Olives. And there you have Jesus praying and weeping and preparing. And then you see Judas and this mob coming, and they, they march Jesus away, first to the house of Annas for some questioning, and then to the, to the house of the high priest named Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the high priest, and it's, it's the Sanhedrin, some of the Sanhedrin meeting. And you can picture that in your mind. And, of course, they quickly condemn him to death. And the next morning, they take him to Pilate. And Pilate sends him to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate. And Pilate's wife says, don't have anything to do with him. So Pilate then gives the nod. He knows he's innocent, but he just doesn't want the pressure of the Jews anymore. And they scourge him, and they crucify him. Now, you have time. And here at West Huntsville, we take a little more time than a lot of congregations to eat the Lord's Supper. And the reason is that we need time to do that. We need to do and take the time to do what I just described to you. And, and that's how you do this in remembrance of me. You don't have time to do it if you just, if you just grab it, eat it, and then it's time for the, for the next thing in worship. You've got to take some time to obey this command. And furthermore, you have to be able to use your imagination. You've got to picture what you've seen on the pages of the Scripture. Here's the second one. 
It's, it's Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Now, everybody in this room knows this. It was, when I was a boy, we had wooden rulers, and on the back was printed the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Or as the, the scripture says, that whatever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for such is the law and the prophets. Now, I want to point out to you that this is a command that's, that's predicated upon our use of our imaginations. And I believe it to be the, the, the grandest, the best ethical principle ever taught by anybody to the human race. The, the golden rule is good because it doesn't matter where you live in this world, and it really doesn't matter how old you are. If you're old enough to think, you can practice the golden rule. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how poor you are. Anybody can practice this. All you have to do is to look at other people and think, how would you like to be treated? And that's how you treat them. Now, of course, it presupposes good things. Don't twist your mind up because you'll lose the point. Don't get, don't get messed up. It, it presupposes. We're talking about good things and, and right things and the welfare of others. But, but based on that, this is a great ethical principle. How would you like to be treated? Treat, treat other people like that. That's how you do it. He's requiring us to use our imaginations. Now, let's flip it over, and I'm going to tell you now, the Scripture gives you the, the dark side of this too. Here's 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15. Are you familiar with this? Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, this is the opposite of the golden rule. This is the dark side. It's that I would use my imagination. I, I, in a, in a, a wrong way, I'm going to preach a sermon. I've been writing it for a few weeks now, and not ready yet, but I'm going to, Lord willing, on the imprecatory psalms. I really want to talk about this. And, and if you, you may remember that there are some psalms in which the writer beseeches God to, to destroy his enemies, and sometimes in awful, awful ways. And how do you resolve that? And so I'm going to talk about that. I want to discuss that, but not ready yet. I want to solve some of the mysteries from my own heart before I preach it. But but the point is, here, here's what 1 John 3 and verse 15 says. I can use my, if I hate somebody, I use my imagination for awful things. Did you ever do that? You don't have to confess it to me. But perhaps so. I, I might not actually take a gun and shoot someone with it. But I might let my imagination wander in that direction and picture and relish that. Maybe I just picture this person who I think has harmed me in some way, and I, I might use my imagination to have that person close to a cliff, and I might just, hmm? right? I know if you're listening to a recording, you can't hear what I just gestured, but you can use your imagination. Just push him right off. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't really do it. And Jesus, or John here, points out by inspiration that what's happening here, he says, you know, don't you be murdering people with your mind. Don't you be doing that. Why not? Because you've got to control your imagination better than that. I, I could do something awful in my heart. Matthew 5 and 43. You've heard that it was said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy, thine enemy. But I say unto you, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for those which despitefully use you and persecute you. I'm required by the golden rule of Matthew 7 and verse 12 to use my imagination. Now, here's one more in this, this list of three. Jesus teaches us this in Matthew 5 and 28. Now, you're familiar with this too. 
I'm not sure that we say enough about it. I probably should say more. Every, every Sunday when you come and the, these slides are scrolling, announcements and so forth, there's one about pornography. Now, pornography is so profound, profoundly popular in our culture that we don't, we don't really want to see the numbers. The statistics about this will take your breath away, and sometimes Christians get involved in it. And what Jesus did to prohibit it in Matthew 5 and 28 was to say, if you look on a woman to lust after her, and I do not know a better description of pornography than this one. You look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. Now, that is to say, just to be blunt, that the use of pornography to any degree, according to this passage, this teaching of Jesus, is a sin against God. We've got, to, we've got to make sure that we have no part of this, gentlemen. We've got ladies too. But gentlemen, we've got to be sure that we, that we rid our lives of all of this. We've got to do that. And it has to do with the command of Jesus relative to our imaginations. David, David committed adultery with Bathsheba, but the, but the adultery didn't start there in, in his palace with her. It started in his imagination with her. And he envisioned, imagine what it would be like to be with her. That's where it began. It was in his imagination. And then when he realized she was with child, then he has his imagination cooking again. And his imagination is about how he get rid of Uriah, a righteous, a good man. How can I get rid of Uriah? So Uriah, so nobody will know that I've committed this sin. And then his imagination later is going to be used about, about his torment about, I mean, had he imagined the real truth that, that after committing this sin, he sees her in his imagination and being with her in his imagination, but he didn't picture the right thing. If he had pictured a dead child, if he had pictured the shame, the displeasure of God, if he had pictured himself writing these words that we have today in Psalm 51 and 10, created me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. What's that? Well, what's that is this regret over what he did. He wants, he wants to be right with God again. Here's number three. Here's the last point. How can I use my imagination the right way? How can I do that? Oh my, there's just so many ways. Gentlemen, you and I ought to imagine ourselves being model husbands to our wives. Picture a home where the father, the husband, is everything that God wants him to be. A righteous, a good man, a loving husband. Picture yourself as a father. The kind of father that any kid would like to have growing up. One that pleases God. You build faith in your children and you support your wife and her faith. And you build memories and you build values inside of those children. And and ultimately what's important is going to heaven and you're the leader of that family. Envision that, picture that, imagine that. And wives, do the same. Imagine what it's like, what it will be like and picture yourself in the role of, of the ideal mother, a model mother to your children that gives them the security that they so desperately need. Picture... Picture people around you who are in need. Picture women who are widows or men who are widowers in this room. 
And they have, they have need for friendship. And you can use your imagination about it. Picture, picture single parents raising their children. Imagine what it would be like and put yourself in those shoes. Picture people who are sick and in the hospital or have loved ones who are sick and in the hospital who are struggling. You say, well, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, but you could use your imagination. And when you look at these people, utilize your imagination to put yourself in their shoes. And you know what will happen is that in all these kinds of cases is that it will change you. It will change you. And you'll start exercising compassion in ways that you haven't before. And it all sprang from your imagination. Picture a great church, a church that is a refuge from the world. I love this church. I believe that's what this is. I believe that our worship is, it, 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 it satisfies our need to please God and it satisfies the needs of our hearts. Don't you come in here and you want to worship him? Don't you come in here longing to pray and sing with these people and study from his word? I know you do. I do. I do every week. I want you to picture a church that is a refuge from the world. A church where people are welcome and warmly received. A place where love is just the way we do it. And as you imagine that, this security You'll help it be just what I described. Picture, picture the judgment day. And what in hearing our Savior turn people away. Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Could you picture that time and time and time again? And then I want you to picture because you're a child of God. Because you obeyed the gospel and then you you lived your life to walk in his light. Not perfect, but you lived your life to please him. You lived your life striving to please him. And that, can you just imagine this? Will you just imagine it right now with me? And you hear these words from the lips of the Savior. You've been waiting all your life to hear the sound of his voice. And now to hear it, come ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Imagine that. Imagine it. And what happens is you you want to be faithful. You want to use every day to his glory. It'll make you a praying man. It'll make you a praying woman. It'll it'll make you want to come to worship. It'll make, make you want to live every single day at work, at school, whatever you do, it that you want to be a Christian. You want to live out the example of Christianity. Because you're longing for that time. Picture heaven. And what it will be like to know. That I'm never going to have to suffer the things of this world anymore. I never will. And that I'm going to be locked in. I will be in a place of joy and happiness. The likes of which I've never seen before. And I'm going to be there forever. And I'll be be there with the redeemed and with my Lord. If you're not a Christian this morning. I want to encourage you to use your imagination and picture yourself obeying the gospel. Do you know what to do to be saved? Do you know how to repent of your sins and confess Jesus and to be immersed in water? If you want to study about that, I'll be so happy. Come see me after this worship is over and I'll be happy to sit down with you. We'll open the book. We'll talk about it. 
But if you already know what to do to be saved, you just haven't done it, I want you to envision yourself going down into the water like Elizabeth has just done and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins because that's what Jesus said. It was in order to be saved. I want you to picture yourself coming up out of that water and knowing the joy of salvation, knowing what it is to have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And your faith in God, your faith in his word will teach you that. Would you like to obey the gospel? Why not today? What about now? What about right now? Maybe you need the prayers of Christians. Envision yourself making things right that have been wrong for a long time. And you've been holding on to that. And imagine yourself leaving this building today and saying, I'm free from that. I've made it right. I've done everything I know how to correct this now. And my forgiveness is so very sweet. We're going to sing a song of encouragement. If you'd like to respond, come as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.